Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, after Roe versus Wade was overturned in the United States, we'll hear about the Conservative MPs trying to turn back the clock on British abortion rights. Going to be joined by the Byline Times European and Social Affairs reporter Sean Norris and our Westminster and political editor Adam Bienkoff. Before that, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscribers to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper edited by Hardeep Matharo. We can report without fear or favour because we don't have to dance to the tune of a wealthy proprietor. Our funding comes from ordinary readers taking out subscriptions to the Byline Times. And as a handy side benefit, you get this podcast as well. So please do subscribe if you can. You'll get details on how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. And if you have already taken out a subscription, thank you. So to Sean Norris. And Sean, after Roe v. Wade was overturned in the United States, a, a shocking development, really. It's perhaps inevitable that we have a look at Conservative MPs in particular trying to turn back the clock in the UK? Yes. So, I mean, I think we're all still reeling from the shock of the Supreme Court decision in the US. But it's really worth remembering that in the UK, or in Britain particularly, abortion laws remain quite fragile. Abortion is still a criminal offence, according to the Offences Against a Persons Act, which is a Victorian piece of legislation. And it's only legally allowed according to exceptions laid out in the 1967 Abortion Act. So there's been kind of a big move to try and decriminalise abortion in Britain. The laws in Northern Ireland are slightly different. But of course, any moves to do that have to overcome Conservative Party opposition. And we've seen numerous votes in the last um, few weeks that have shown the strength of that opposition. So last week, there was a vote on extending abortion services in Northern Ireland and 61 Conservative MPs voted against that. Back in March, we had a vote on the decision to make telemedicine for abortion a permanent change. It was a change that was introduced during the coronavirus pandemic. And despite the fact that we, the pro-choice had a majority on that vote, we did win. Telemedicine has been made permanent. More than 100 um, MPs did vote to try and roll back this extension of abortion rights. So I think we really need to be aware of, A, what the laws are in Britain and how how they continue to criminalise abortion in, in many circumstances, and also how there is this strength of opposition to abortion rights in some very senior Conservative MPs, including the Secretary of State for Digital Media, Culture and Sport, Nadine Doris, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's also in the Cabinet, Jeremy Hunt, a former leadership contender. We, we need to be aware and we need to not rest on our laurels when it comes to abortion in the UK. And Adam, it's worth pointing out in fairness, isn't it, that Prime Minister Boris Johnson did criticise the US Supreme Court decision. Yes, that's right. Um, He described it as a step backwards. And I think if you look at the situation in the US versus the UK, there is a big difference. The the power of the religious lobby in the UK is is much lower. And if you look at public opinion as well, um, there is a huge resistance to turning the clock back on, on abortion. Polling shows showing there's, you know, that it's a real small minority of people who would want to do it around 5%. But of course, as Sean says, that part of the population is massively overrepresented in the government and the governing party. Um, 
And yes, Johnson has spoken out against it, but several other ministers were among those who, who, who voted against extending access in Northern Ireland last week, including the Women's Health Minister, uh, Maria Caulfield. So it's, yeah, I, I don't think there's a there's a huge chance of, of there being a explicit rollback, but it is definitely a large constituency within the Conservative Party, particularly among MPs. And I don't think we should be complacent about where the party could go, particularly if Johnson comes under more pressure from his, his backbenchers on a whole range of issues. And Sean, particularly interested in what we often refer to at Byline Times as dark money. Fiona Bruce, who's a backbench Conservative MP, has got links to the US-based anti-abortion movement. Yes. So Fiona Bruce is a backbench MP who's tabled various bills designed to restrict access to abortion, including a bill that planned to ban sex-selective abortion and a bill that would um, remove certain fetal anomalies from um, the list of exemptions that allow you to have an abortion on medical grounds. She's also been very vocal against buffer zones, and buffer zones are this sort of policy that would allow abortion clinics to have a zone around them where protesters, anti-abortion protesters, wouldn't be allowed to to kind of carry out their protests or their prayer vigils or their lobbying of women going into um, clinics. And so she has a relationship with an organisation called Alliance Defending Freedom through their international European branch, ADF International. Um, In 2019, she spoke at their youth conference in Vienna and they paid for her expenses. I think it was about £900 worth um, that was declared in the Register of Ministerial Interests. Now, ADF International is increasingly active in the UK. It has an office in London. It's partially funded by grants from the US sort of parent company in Arizona. And it's been very active in kind of universities, promoting and championing anti-abortion groups within universities. It was quoted in a white paper on freedom of speech in campus that was published by the Department for Education. But it is designated in America by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group. This is a designation it disputes, but it does give you an idea of the strength of its opposition to abortion and also LGBT rights. And it is concerning that we see um, UK politicians having like relationships with organizations that are designated as hate groups. The examples you've given suggest that the rights such as they are that we have at the moment to abortion are under threat. I think for me, the bigger concern is not that we'll see a rollback. I think that there is such a strong sort of pro-choice majority in the UK that that would be very difficult. It's more that we won't see improvements. And as I said at the beginning, you know, abortion remains a criminal offence because of the Offences Against the Person Act. The 1967 Act only allows for abortion in certain circumstances, including the fact that a woman has to get two doctors to agree that continuing with the pregnancy would be of harm to her mental and physical health. So, you know, these are still quite these sort of tough abortion laws. And then there is this move to decriminalise abortion and make it healthcare rather than criminal. And I guess the main fear is that we won't see that progress. We'll continue to have these, this kind of problematic law that doesn't really serve women's and girls' interests. And that progress on making things better will be stymied by these opposition groups and by opposite, um, MPs who are opposed to abortion, rather than uh, seeing a really sort of severe rollback of rights as we've seen in the US. Of course, never say never. I mean, a few years ago, we wouldn't have imagined that the Supreme Court would overrule Roe. But I think my bigger fear is that we're not going to see progress and we're not going to see improved laws that would make life easier for women and girls with an unintended pregnancy. 
Adam, I'm really struck by comments reported in an article you've written with Sean for Byline Times attributed to the Brexit Opportunities Minister, Jacob Rees-Mogg, in which he said that he is completely opposed to women having the right to abortion, including yeah. in the cases of rape and incest. Yeah, so, so Jacob Rees-Mogg is very much on the extreme end of the spectrum. But as I say, those kind of views are massively overrepresented in the Conservative Party. And, and although I, I, I do agree with Sean, I don't think we're likely to see a sort of wholesale rollback of abortion laws in, in the UK. I still, still think there is some risk that we could see some rollback on the margins, particularly on sort of the upper time, time limit for abortions, things such as that. And also, as Sean says, I think a lot of the rights that women have to abortion in the UK are not actually fully enshrined and there was a call there has been a call among some MPs on all sides of the house for the right to abortion to be enshrined in the government's new bill of rights and the deputy prime minister dominic raab was asked about this this week in prime minister's questions and he explicitly ruled that out and as long as these these kind of rights aren't enshrined in law and in, in our fundamental rights then the risk of them being rolled back at least partially is, is never going to go away and i don't think those rights will be enshrined under this government John, you mentioned the fact that the majority of people in this country are opposed to further restrictions on abortion. But the same is true in the United States, isn't it? Most of the research I've seen suggests that as many as 70% of people in the United States believe in the right to abortion. But the people who believe passionately in what they describe as the right to life don't seem to factor that in, do they? It, it wouldn't trouble those people on the conservative right who care deeply about this subject if they were in a, a minority, if they felt they could bring forward legislation that would restrict abortion, I sense they would do it. Yes, absolutely. They would absolutely do it. I don't think, I think there would be a lot of controversy because we do have a pro-choice majority in this country, but, you know, they would see themselves um, fighting this battle on the side of, of right, I guess. And that is really concerning. And I think one of the things to be really aware of is how organised the anti-abortion movement in this country can be. So I mentioned earlier the, the decision to make telemedicine for abortion a permanent change um, following the sort of beginning of the pandemic. And the government put this out to public consultation. And obviously I responded to the consultation because I'm very involved in these issues. I knew the consultation was happening. Of course, many pro-choice and pro-abortion groups did the same. But the opposition, the anti-abortion movement was so organised on this I think like a huge proportion of the responses to the consultation came from one organisation or members of one organisation. And so, yes, they're not concerned about whether they have majority public support. They're not concerned about whether their agenda is popular and is wanted, but they are very, very good at getting their messages into government and into the heart of government. And it also goes back to what I mentioned before about, you know, Alliance Defending Freedom being quoted approvingly in a white paper for the Department for Education. You know, these organisations, these advocates, these activists, they know how to present themselves as, re as a reasonable, you know, we just want religious freedom, we just want freedom of speech, we just have respect for life. And ignoring the fact that most people are, you know, pro-choice, they believe in a woman's right to have an abortion. And unlike Danny Kruger, one of the Conservative MPs who spoke this week, they believe that women have an absolute right to bodily autonomy, just as men do. 
Yeah, Danny Kruger, former speechwriter to David Cameron. He made the comment that women do not have the absolute right to bodily autonomy. And talking about these groups who are capable of wielding influence across the Atlantic, there's a radical right-wing think tank called the Heritage Foundation. They welcomed the overruling of Roe versus Wade. They said it would give American people the power to fix America's extreme abortion laws. And that organization has had all sorts of Tory luminaries speak for it or speak at its meetings. Yeah, so the Heritage Foundation has a curiously close relationship with the modern Conservative Party. Me and Heidi Sigmund Kuda actually reported on this way back in September. And it kind of keeps coming back. You know, this story keeps coming back. Yeah, it's a radical right wing think tank based in Washington. It campaigns on issues of life, as they term it, of the family. Um, They're very interested in hard Brexit. They're very interested in freedom of speech and, you know, issues around kind of climate, particularly sort of pro fossil fuel lobbying. And yeah, they have welcomed various Conservative MPs to their um, stage. So Oliver Dowden was the most recent MP to speak there. Priti Patel has spoken there, Liz Truss, Liam Fox. Um, Before he resigned as an MP, Owen Patterson had given a speech there. And again, even if, I mean, I don't know the views on abortion of women like Patel and Truss, but whatever those views are, there is this concern that Conservative MPs are very, very close to very, very influential organisations that are campaigning against abortion rights. And when you're campaigning against abortion rights, you are campaigning against women's human rights. Women have a right to bodily autonomy. We have a right to our bodily integrity. And so we need to be asking questions about these relationships and what they mean and what the influence of these US organisations is on our politicians. Is it problematic for some Labour MPs, for Lib Dem MPs, for anybody in the SNP? Well, the, the they had the vote last week in Parliament on extending the right to abort, access to abortion in Northern Ireland. 61 Conservative MPs voted uh, against that. The DUP voted against that. The only other person to vote against that was one Labour MP, uh, Rachel Maskell, who um, has a sort of long-standing uh, opposition to uh, abortion. Uh, she's been quite open about that for a, for a long time. But as you can tell from the fact that there's only one Labour MP who, who joined that vote, that tells you pretty much what a minority position it is within the Labour Party. So no, it's predominantly a concern among Conservative MPs and of course the DUP as well. And Sean, just one other thought on this. I know you've been doing some research into the reaction from the, the far right to the overturning of abortion rights in the United States? Yes, I go on far-right telegram, so you don't have to. That's going (laughs) to be my slogan. I've long been really interested in this intersection between far-right activity, white supremacy and anti-abortion politics, both in the UK and in the US and across Europe. You know, we know, for example, that very influential far-right activists in the UK, such as Jim Dowson, have a long history of anti-abortion campaigning. And this is partly because they're so the far right is very embedded in a conspiracy theory called the Great Replacement, which in part blames feminism and reproductive rights for repressing the white birth rate. There's no evidence for this. It's a baseless conspiracy theory. So I thought it would be interesting to see how the far right were reacting. And of course, it was very, very celebratory. You know, they were exultant at the fact that Roe v. Wade had been overruled in the U.S., Organisations like the Proud Boys, which is a far-right militia who were very implicated in the January 6th 
violence at the Capitol, you know, they celebrated in really grotesque ways, to be honest, like really mocking the late um, Supreme Court Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who fought so um, so hard for abortion rights, you know, posting memes of of babies around her grave, like giving the middle finger to the gravestone and telling women that if they don't want to get pregnant, then they should just have oral sex. You know, it's just like really grotesque kind of misogynistic stuff. Similarly, on the sort of incel forums, because there's such a massive crossover between extremist misogyny and extremist far-right activity, there was a lot of celebration, particularly because for the incel community, which is this extremist misogynistic subculture that believes that um, men have a right to women's bodies and a right to have sex with women, they argue that banning abortion is a good way of punishing women. You know, it punishes women for having sex. And that's something I've seen in the incel community from the time I started researching them. I and mean, I remember one incel writing that he didn't care if abortion, um, if abortion bans killed women because women didn't deserve rights anyway. Wow, that's really, really shocking stuff. Adam, to finish and bringing it back to the UK, at the root of conservatism is this idea of the freedom of the individual, the freedom of the individual in some cases over and above that of the state. How do conservatives who want to restrict the right to abortion square that with that core conservative principle? Well, there always has been this sort of conflict within conservatism between the sort of libertarian strain, leave people to live their lives as they see fit, and the sort of more traditional religious-based conservatism, uh, moralising about p- other people's lives. There, there always has been that that strain and that uh, that tension between the two wings. This hasn't so far caught on as, as a big issue in the UK, but there are a lot of conservative MPs who look across to the United States and they've always looked very admiringly on the Republican Party and their ability to, to shift the, the Overton window further to the right. And there were a number of conservative MPs who appeared to celebrate the decision of Roe v. Wade. Uh, Scott Benton, conservative MP, who is a PPS at the uh, Foreign Office, that sent out a, a tweet celebrating it. And there are, as Sean said about the links between some of these these organisations lobbying in the US and, and UK uh, politicians, there's always going to be those pressure for the Conservative Party to shift further towards um, the situation in the US. So I think this is something we have to be alive to in the UK. It's very easy to be complacent about the rights that we have here and believe that they're, they're going to be there forever. But as we've seen on other issues in recent years, these rights aren't going to be protected in, in sacrosanct forever. These things can be whittled away piece by piece, and, and that's something we have to be alive to. Yeah, the Overton window, for people who don't know, is the kind of the realm of the possible. What is the the current idea of a permissible debate? And I suppose the fear is that the Supreme Court decision in the United States will put overturning or restricting yes. abortion rights back on the agenda here in the UK. And well, the that, fact we're talking about it today, I think, you know, uh, a few years back, this probably wouldn't even have been a discussion and and certainly even, it wouldn't even have been a discussion in the US. So you can see how things have shifted already and there's always potential for that to shift even further. Good to hear from you both. Thank you. That's uh, Adam Bienkoff, the political and Westminster editor of the Byline Times. Thanks also to Sean Norris. And you can read both Sean and Adam 
at bylinetimes.com talking about this very subject and much more besides as well. And you can read them in our brilliant monthly newspaper, The Byline Times. If you take out a subscription to that, you'll be helping to fund this podcast. So go do it. Check out bylinetimes.com. That's our website where you'll find details of how to subscribe. That's at bylinetimes.com. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been the Byline Times podcast. Thanks for listening. Cheers now. Bye-bye.